0: Should we automate away all the jobs, including the fulfilling ones? Should we allow AI machines to flood the internet with propaganda and fake news? Should we develop non-human minds smarter than our own? Machines that might one day outnumber us or outsmart us? Do we risk losing control? Now you might think, That sounds like some futuristic script from a Terminator movie, but last month, some of the most well-known figures who are involved in the development and training of artificial intelligence called for a moratorium until we better understand where we're going. An open letter was signed by thousands of entrepreneurs, academics and scientists, including Elon Musk, who wants the training of intelligence halted for at least six months. We're going to dig deep into this uh, over the next 20 minutes or so in the company of two people who know a thing or two about it. Joining me is the tech investor Evan Burfield, the, Evan Burfield, I do beg your pardon, the author of Regulatory Hacking, uh, a playbook for startups, he's in Texas, and Professor Gary Marcus is in Vancouver, he's the Professor Emeritus at New York University and author of Rebooting AI. Professor, let me start with you. Um, clearly, with such advances that we're seeing, we have to set some guardrails. Who do you think should be in charge of that?
1: Uh, Were we both professors? I think that we need global governance for AI. I think that we have a lot of (coughs) patchworks right now, almost balkanized. Um, The worst case from the company's perspective and the world's perspective is if there's 193 jurisdictions, each deciding their own rules, requiring their own training of these models, um, each run by governments that don't have much specific expertise in AI. So what I called for an economist uh, editorial earlier this week and in a TED uh, talk earlier this week was to have a global system modeled on something like the International Atomic Energy Authority, where the world comes together and says, we have a new threat here. Um, It's really a new set of threats, and we need to work together on this. So I think the number one thing is it should be global. And the number two thing is it can't be just Um, policy but there also has to be a research side because we need to invent new tools like we had to invent for fighting spam and cyber warfare and so forth there's so many different threats as you mentioned around misinformation cybercrime and so forth so we need to have a kind of standing organization that's global and well financed to try to build tools to mitigate those threats
0: so Evan Burfield uh, there are many many people who who just want to press the pause button until we work out some of these things but I can already see and I've heard uh, the reasons why that probably isn't possible. And, and that is because not everybody will stop. And people are worried about losing competitive advantage. So how do we best go about this?
2: Yeah, I, I think that's exactly right. Um, you know, the, the challenge with a moratorium is that it's incredibly hard to enforce. Um, the responsible actors would be more likely to, to follow it. The irresponsible actors wouldn't. But that's actually not so much my concern with a moratorium. There's absolutely questions we need to be asking about the governance of AI, about what industry can do, what government can do. Uh, I think the letter did spark a conversation. Schumer is working on a new AI bill here in the US. Rumor is McCarthy's working on a Republican version. But what I think is actually much more important is to start to have the conversations about how we prepare our society, our economy, uh, our political system, democracy itself, for all of the implications of AI that are coming one way or another. And I suspect we'll see a year from now we'll go, this was less impactful than we thought. Five years from now, it will be an absolute tsunami of upheaval. And we have this window right now where we can have this conversation and we can get creative and I think we've got to use it. And a moratorium gives us this false sense of security that we have control and can stop it versus figuring out how we ride this tsunami and and try to direct it in a much better direction.
0: Professor Marcus did we did we learn anything from the, the the last technological advance the advance of the internet of social media are there lessons from that which we let's face it we didn't do very well that are applicable here
1: I think the number one lesson is you don't want to close the barn door after the horse has left I think you know we're very late in in figuring out what to do about social media. I think we probably handled privacy in the wrong way. Um, We wound up with so much polarization and hostility, we wound up with misinformation. Um, I I think we waited too long to act. I think the number one lesson is we should get on it right now. And I I agree with the other panellists that the moratorium, you could argue about the merits, whether it was the right thing or the wrong thing, was absolutely the right thing to raise this and get it on everybody's agenda. This is not something we want six months from now. It's something we need now.
0: So, Evan Burfield, when you talk about a tsunami in five years time, what what does that
2: look like? Uh, look, I, I'm down here in Austin, Texas uh, at, at Capital Factory, Startup Accelerate. I've, I've spent the whole day uh, you know, meeting with startups and I, there's not a startup right now out there that is not applying these AI generative models, these large language models to every interesting problem under the sun. And there's all of the, the scary dystopian possibilities that you uh, led into this segment with, but there's also uh, incredible advances in how to make work more fulfilling and more impactful, how to apply, Uh, Tremendous personalization to medicine based on our genetics, our environment, the particular issues we're having. Um, How do you make government more responsive and feel more like a concierge to citizens? All of that is also being worked on. Um, And I think figuring out how we put the guardrails in place around some of the scarier things, which isn't just about regulating AI, it's about changing our social policy, changing our market policies themselves so that we can mitigate some of that and, and direct this into the, the much more hopeful and optimistic directions.
0: Why, why on that point though, Evan, is it, is it imaginable in the current scenario, you're around it all the time, that a research lab would cross a critical line here without even noticing?
2: I, I'm, I'm personally skeptic. You know, uh, Gary's written some wonderful points about the fact that we are, we are very, very far, I believe, from artificial general intelligence and the terminator scenarios. I think what we've got to be very aware of right now is simply that this technology is already right now today at a state, if it did not advance any further, where its application is going to profoundly change how we live our lives, how we work, how we engage with each other in communities, how our democracies function. Uh, The impacts on our democracies are going to be felt right in the 2024 political cycle here in the US. That's what I think we need to be talking about and preparing for Uh, the scenarios of AI is like nuclear weapons. We have to ban it immediately, I think are much less applicable to the, the much more realistic uh, changes that are already happening around us right now and are going to accelerate.
0: Miles, um, you've just come back from Washington, and I know that you've been talking to policymakers about the specific issues. In fact, the reason we're talking about it tonight is because you tweeted, no one has a clue. I, I mean, is, that, is it as blunt as that, that nobody really understands it? There is practically no work being done on it?
3: Uh, Christian, you're you're spot on. The three biggest challenges right now with policymakers are, one, this was completely foreseeable. There were some of us in Washington talking about this 10 or 15 years ago. Policymakers weren't paying attention. And most of the think tanks in Washington really failed to start a conversation about the practical things that needed to be done to prepare for the age of AI. So we're behind the ball from a policymaking uh, standpoint. The second thing, I would emphasize what Evan Burfield just said, there is a wave coming. And you can do two things when a wave is coming. you can get crushed by it, or you can ride the wave. And to use another analogy, right now, the discussion in Washington is about whether to put the genie back in the bottle or not. That shouldn't be the discussion. It should be what three wishes should we ask the genie? And that's the discussion that should be had about how to handle AI and use it for good purposes. And finally, the other problem is policymakers are not thinking two steps forward on the chessboard. It's AI right now. But in In this decade, AI is going to be supercharged by other technologies like quantum computing that are going to give machines genuine human-like emotion. What are we doing to prepare for that? We should be having that conversation now. There needs to be institutions in Washington that focus on that.
0: So, Jack, (laughs) we've had a discussion about that in this country. The UK government has decided that it doesn't need a dedicated UK regulator for AI. So who's overseeing it?
4: That's a very good question. I mean, uh, I, I was on stage last night with the Chancellor, Jeremy Hunt, and I asked him about this. You know, he's the guy in charge of the UK economy. Um, and he was really quite dismissive. He's He, in, in the sense that he said, you know, this is something that is going to happen. And we have always embraced new technologies in this country and we should do so. Again, uh, it's full steam ahead was the phrase that he used um you know it, he was very very positive he did he was he did not want to talk about the possibility that people would lose their jobs because of this technology he only saw it as a purely positive thing and he was not keen to talk about the way it should be regulated now you know i'm no expert on this stuff i'm a politics guy but what i do know is that is how Westminster works and how um, political systems work? And I can tell you now, and you'll know this, Christian. There is no way our political system is set up to deal with this challenge. Absolutely no chance. The speed at which decisions are made in. Westminster, and I suspect in other major political centers is far too slow to cope with the pace at which this technology is coming. The policy makers do not understand it at all. This is just something that is gonna wash over us and we're gonna to have to cross our fingers. You know, the UK government put out a white paper which is what they call their draft strategy on AI the other day. I mean, just the very name of it, white paper tells you how old school this is. You know, it's out of date already and that thing took, you know, years for them to put together. Um, We we just don't have the sort of nimble, small system, smart thinking people set up to deal with this. Uh, And I'd be very surprised if that's (laughs) different in the US or indeed in many of the other big power centres.
0: Well, they clearly don't understand it, Professor Marcus. Do they call you in... TO TRY AND GET YOU TO EXPLAIN IT TO THEM?
1: I WAS TALKING TO PEOPLE IN U.S. AND CANADIAN GOVERNMENT YESTERDAY. I'VE BEEN CALLED A LOT LATELY. Um, <laughs> I THINK THERE IS an AWARENESS THAT PEOPLE DON'T QUITE KNOW WHAT TO DO. AND, and THEY ARE INCREASINGLY TURNING TO ME. Um, AND ALSO TURNING TO ALL OF MY you know, ACADEMIC COLLEAGUES AND SO FORTH. You know, I, I THINK THAT THERE'S AT LEAST A RECOGNITION THAT PEOPLE KNOW WHAT THEY DON'T KNOW. I DO THINK THAT THE U.K. WHITE PAPER SAYING THAT YOU WON'T HAVE A CENTRAL OFFICE Um, of AI is silly for all the reasons that were kind of implicitly just said, which is um, the government is gonna be ill-equipped to deal with the speed of this. And if you just leave it to 20 different regulatory agencies, each of which don't have expertise, you're, you're asking for trouble. You're asking for a lack of coordination. And it's just not realistic that all of those agencies are gonna be up on things. So there needs to be, I think, at least some central oversight. I think the United States should consider a cabinet-level um, AI officer, and, and you should consider something comparable. Um, you need some people So what, like a, maybe full, like a G7,
0: we have a G7 meeting of foreign ministers, we need a G7 meeting of, of AI, AI ministers, is that, is that effectively what you're saying?
1: Well, I mean, I'm calling for something similar, which is a global organization, uh, kind of like the IMF or an International Atomic Energy Agency, um, where you have a lot of experts, you have a lot of people in government, you have a lot of people in uh, the companies, and yeah, you have regular meetings, and you're like, well, this week, the new thing is this thing called, and this is a real example, called Auto-GPT, where you have AIs training other AIs. What do we do about that? How big a threat is it? Is it a small threat, big threat? Like, if you have a research arm, then you can say, Let's do some experiments here and try to figure out what the limits are. Right now, instead, you have like 193 countries. Maybe some of them have read the news about this major news discovery. Some of them haven't even aren't even aware of it. And there's like no coordination here. I mean, that just can't be the
0: right way. You're nodding, Evan, because uh, this is the key issue. I, I, as Miles as Miles discussed, it's not human competitive intelligence. It, it's it's what happens after AI gets smarter it, than human intelligence, it, right?
2: It's amazing. But you know, I, I I can't go to a conference. I I actually live in Washington D.C. most of the time and I can't go to a, a dinner or a conference, a meeting without the word AI being discussed. And they're all talking about chat GPT. And Gary's right. It's not even auto GPT. There was a, a an experiment run last week called chaos GPT, where they took a neutered version of auto GPT and told it to go out and figure out the most efficient way to destroy humanity. It was a it was sort of a test. And it's set to work doing it. There's there's a lot of this stuff is moving incredibly fast. And figuring out how you can educate policymakers about how to mitigate, regulate, bring transparency to some of those threats, while not preventing what can be breathtaking advances in um, how we live our lives in much more fulfilling and purposeful ways. And, and society, I think that's that's a lot of the trick here. To echo Jack's point though about white papers and the way you know government moves, I I tend to agree. I, you know, Miles may be more optimistic than I am, but I tend to agree. I, I think a lot of the big changes that are gonna need to happen probably won't happen until uh, there's some sort of provoking event, some sort of crisis. I don't think that though prevents us from starting to have the conversations. Uh, At least the way Washington tends to work, uh, at least you wanna have the the policy container, the framework, the ideas ready, some sort of consensus being built so that when the opportunity presents itself, kinda like a, a VC who sees a great startup, right? When the opportunity presents itself, you're ready to jump on it and you're ready to move forward and i and i think that that has to be happening right now the one
0: of the more lo-
1: go ahead the opportunity that I see right now is to build some global governance. I think you have the governments are afraid of the technology companies. And the technology companies are afraid the governments are gonna shut them down as they did in Italy. And this means everybody has some incentive to go to the table. That's rare. And I think we should be seizing that opportunity right now to try to do something coherent that is dynamic enough to cope with the speed of the change, to take advantage of the good things and, and to avoid the bad things. But we need that coordination now and we can't just leave this to the usual mechanisms, it's just too
0: slow. Miles, one of the more worrying things that you said was that um, Speaker McCarthy was looking at an AI for, for Republicans. And, you know, one of the experiences we have of, of recent years is that the Russians were able to interfere in a democracy and who knows, arguably, uh, it's been debated whether they were able to change some of the results through what they were putting onto the internet. I mean, we're into a whole new ballgame for democracy if AI can put out misinformation and propaganda.
1: It's not if it's how much and when it's going to happen yeah. probably in the west two thousand twenty four election
3: wow well, yeah th- there's, there's no question i mean this this coming election cycle in the United States it's a big concern for election security authorities it should be. But I, yeah, I gotta go back to what the other panelists said. In order to respond to it effectively, we've gotta start with education. And right now, I mean, I've tried to brief policymakers on this. It's like explaining particle physics to a chocolate chip cookie. I mean, there's just not recognition about what's happening. If I was President Joe Biden right now, I would put I would put the entire cabinet on Air Force One, I would fly them to Silicon Valley, and, and we would spend the week educate uh, educating them about what's happening because there aren't just these security implications for the elections. As Evan notes, there's also really positive implications. I mean, there's the ability yeah. to address major okay. healthcare problems, hunger, homelessness, and to do it in real time. And we are missing some opportunities by policymakers not being educated on the subject. But of course, security has to come first. And in order to protect elections or anything else, it's got to start with you know policymakers becoming technologists yeah. and being educated.
0: Fascinating conversation. We're going to have to leave it there. Evan Burfield, Gary, Marcus, thank you very much indeed for joining us.